All right, are we live? We are live. Oh my goodness, guys. I have been running all over the whole house. Crazy. Well, hello. Welcome here. Uh, so glad you're joining me for today's live stream Q&A. Um, it's good to be back. I missed last week uh, because I was in Utah, and that's part of what I'm going to be talking about here in this conversation is my trip to Utah and how that went and what we did and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but from taking the week off, I... Um, well, let's just say I had equipment that was placed other places and settings that were not the way they normally are. And so I've been running around trying to get ready and I should have started sooner and had everything prepped. But I figured, hey, it should take the same amount of time it normally takes, right? And it did not. So I apologize for the late start, but we are here. Uh, thank you for joining. Um, all right. So if you are watching live, uh, then you can know that you can click in the description below and you can see the ways that you can ask questions. And if you're listening to this after the fact, uh, know that there are ways to send in questions. Number one, social media. Uh, the social media tags are right there. You can always follow me on Instagram or on Twitter, and you can send in questions through social media ahead of time if you can't watch this live. That way your questions can get answered next month during the Q&A. Uh, the second option is if you are watching live, you can put your questions in the live chat and I will do my best to get to those as well. And then lastly, if you want to call into the show and have a conversation, you can text the number that is below there. Um, I always have the number here. There it is. Um, this is a Google voice number. It's not my personal cell phone if you're interested. It's a Google voice number, 714-989-6927. You should be able to text that. Uh, I have a screener that will then send you a link. And with that link, you can join the show and you can have a little conversation with me. So thank you guys for being here. Um, it's been kind of a crazy few weeks and I want to kind of talk about that as well as some things that are coming up. So first, my Utah trip. Uh, for those who don't know, I work for an organization called Maven. And as, with Maven, I host their, uh, not host, I am a field guide for the immersive experiences. And so what that means is I lead teams from around the country to different places around the United States focused on apologetics. So we go different places, but often for the apologetics trip, we go to like Berkeley. So we train students in philosophy and apologetics. We could take them to UC Berkeley and have them engage with atheists and students of all different beliefs there on the Berkeley campus. Uh, we also uh, have a theological trip and that is the one that I just got back from. And the theology trip is often focused on, excuse me, focused on uh, Christian theology and then studying Mormon theology to engage in conversations with people of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we want to do that because you, you have to be able to articulate the gospel very clearly and have a clear understanding of who Jesus is and who God is and, and why we trust the Bible to be able to have those sort of conversations. And so it really forces you to dig down deeper into what you believe and why you believe it and what Christianity teaches. And so uh, that is the purpose of that trip. There's also a worldview road trip focused on different worldview aspects. And so um, I just got back from the theological trip, theological immersive experience to Utah. And so I actually asked those who are uh, following on Instagram what questions they had about the trip. And they sent in some questions that they're curious uh, about the trip. And so I'm going to kind of run through those questions, as well as if you're listening live, you can comment in in the live chat with your questions and, um, and uh, kind of talk about the trip first. And then we'll get to any questions on apologetics or worldview or ethics that you might have. So let's pull up these here. Uh, the first question says, uh, did you talk to any Mormons? The answer is yes. We talked to a lot uh, of, of Mormons, of people in the Church of Jesus Christ, um, all the way from 
let's see. We went on a tour of Temple Square uh, where we had um, two missionaries leading and guiding that tour. And we're talking with them and we're get, engaging them with conversations. We also had a special tour set up to where we were able to talk with and engage with the president over the Temple Square presidency. And so the guy who is in charge of all the missionaries at Temple Square, he also joined us for part of our tour and we were able to engage with him. Uh, we were able to talk with and engage with two different people who are part of the Church Communications Council. And so these are individuals, move this down a little bit. These are individuals who um, were former stake presidents. So they were over, I believe both of them were. They're, they were bishops of a church and then they became stake presidents over multiple churches. And now they're part of the Church Communications Council, kind of like PR, you know, getting along with those who are in their county. And so they really um, came alongside and, and had some really cool conversations with us. They uh, tour, They went along with us on our tours of Temple Square and as well as This is the Place uh, Historic Monument, as well as they hosted for us a special uh, lunch slash panel Q&A at BYU, Brigham Young University, where there were both of them uh, on the part of the Church Communications Council, a professor and a grad student that was there part of this uh, Q&A uh, with us, being able to answer questions for the students. Um, we also went to a local outlet mall and did some street evangelism there. Uh, we went uh, evangelizing door to door through Provo twice and met with a lot of people and um, had the chance to kind of just go inside their apartments and sit down and have conversations, really, really cool, good conversations. Um, as well as around BYU campus. And so and I don't even know how many uh, Mormons we got to talk to in our time there, but it was quite a bit of people that we were able to run into and talk with. What is something that surprised me about them? Um, there's a lot, but one thing really stood out, and, and this is a challenge. Man, if, if, for those of you who are Christians watching this, this was a challenge to me, and it made me stop for a second and think, and I hope it does the same to you. One of the students' apartments that we knock on his door, his name is David, and um, we, we, we say, hey, we're Christian missionaries here talking about the gospel. Uh, would you like to have a conversation? And so he says, yeah, sure, come on in. And so he invites us in. Now, that's, I think, already kind of strange is that how many of us Christians, when a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness knocks on our door, are we... First of all, I'm just going to answer the door. And then after answering it, not only just have a conversation, but then invite them into the living room. All right, so he invites us into his living room, immediately goes to the kitchen and says, oh my goodness, I don't have enough cups to give you all water. I'm so sorry. And we said, hey, it's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. We got our water bottles because it was a hot day. It was like 100 degrees in Utah last week. And so he invites us in, offers us water. He doesn't have water though. And, and he feels so bad about that. And we said, no, we're fine. We got our water bottles. It's okay. And so we sat down in his living room for probably about an hour and, and talked through what he believes, what we believe, what kind of the questions that we have about uh, the LDS faith and everything. And as we're getting done, he says, hey, can I please Venmo you some money so you can go buy drinks? I was like, oh my goodness. I was like, no, you don't have to get us any money. Like he felt so bad he couldn't be more hospitable. He wanted to give us money so we could go out and buy drinks after leaving his place. I said, no, 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 no. Don't send us any money. And he said, can I go with it with you to a gas station and buy you some drinks? And we said, no, we're fine. Trust me. It's okay. And I stopped and I said, hey, you did your mission for two years, right? Yes. And I said, let me ask you a question. On your mission, two years 
of knocking on doors. How many Christians doors did you knock on that not only invited you into their home, but offered you some drinks or whatever food or whatever, and then offered to go with you afterwards to a gas station and buy you drinks because you didn't have, or they didn't have something to give you. And he said, honestly, zero. No Christians did that. And I think, my goodness, like how, I don't know. It made me stop and realize like, we often don't know what it's like going door to door knocking in the heat of the summer until you do it. But also the hospitality that he showed. Um, Others did it as well. We were invited into other apartments where they're just so hospitable and offering you drinks and hey, can I get you something to eat? And just so loving as then we sat around and talked sometimes for more than an hour. There's one conversation I had on campus at BYU that was three and a half hours long with this one person. How many Christians would sit there for three and a half hours discussing theology, discussing their faith with someone who disagrees? Like this to me absolutely blew me away. And, I, and, I, and I've had this happen before, so I wasn't like super surprised, but this is like a surprise that I had before of like not only did they want to engage in spiritual conversations, but they were so hospitable. And so that's kind of a challenge to you guys who are listening, who are watching, is how similar are we? How many Christians are that willing to engage in spiritual conversations, desiring to take three and a half hours out of our day or an hour out of our day when we're comfortable at home, talk with some stranger in our living room, and then be hospitable and offer them drinks and water, and even willing to trying to give them money afterwards because you couldn't offer them what you wanted. I thought this was really cool. David, if you are watching this, man, it was awesome getting to meet you um, or anyone else I talked to on that trip. Uh, it was so good. And I'm, thank you for that. And I think Christians can be challenged by that. Considering David did this for two years, didn't have a single Christian treat him the same. I think we can get better at that. All right. What else about my trip? Let's see. What was the Mormon temple like? Oh, I forgot to load a picture. The Mormon temple is beautiful. My goodness, if you haven't seen it, um, it is just incredible. It is very beautiful from the outside. Um, You can't go in it, but here's what's cool. If you live in the area or have wanted to, right now, the temple is under construction. They are making it uh, earthquake proof. So like they have dug down below the surface um, uh, uh, very deep and they are doing something where the temple will eventually be able to shift their sway. They said something like five feet uh, to make it earthquake proof. But because it is um, currently under construction uh, and non-members are going inside to do the construction, it is no longer considered like a sacred place, they were telling us. And so once the construction is done in about four years, they will have a period of time like they do with other temples where they will open it up to anyone. And it'll be open for a few weeks where anyone can go inside and and tour and go into the temple. And then once uh, that time period is done, a few weeks, then they have a dedication service. It's dedicated for their purposes. And then only members are allowed in after that. So I think that would be like so cool. Like I would love to go back at that time because this is like one of the first temples, right? That, That Brigham Young built. Uh, when he traveled over to Salt Lake City after leaving uh, the Midwest. And it hasn't been open to the public for, well, probably since that time. And so I don't know if there's been other construction projects, but um, from the outside, beautiful. Unfortunately, Temple Square is under a lot of construction. And so it's not like it used to be, but uh, when it's done, it should be pretty, pretty amazing. Uh, Slam, thank you so much uh, for being here. Yes, I did see those questions. I'll get to those here in a bit. I appreciate it. Uh, A few more from the Utah trip here. Did any Mormons change their mind? This was one of the coolest stories. Uh, This was not 
uh, a current Mormon, current member of the church, but a, a former Mormon. We go to this restaurant after having a long day of sharing and learning. We're in Provo near the BYU campus. And one of the students on our team uh, walks by this table and just feels this pull to this group of people sitting at this table. Like, I really want to go talk to them. And so we end up going and sitting in our area of the restaurant and, and you know, and ordering our food and we're eating. And she just kept thinking like, man, I, I really want to go talk to them. And so she talked to one of the leaders and said, hey, I, I want to go sh share with them. And they said, well, you know, that's what you want to do kind of sort of thing. All right, pray about it and do it. And so she prayed said, yeah, I feel like God's really calling me to these people. And so she walks over to this table, introduces herself, shares a few things. I'm not exactly sure everything that she shared, but shares a few things. And then the conversation uh, ended. They all left um, and um, we, we go back to our dinner. A little while later, one of the individuals from that group comes back in and says, hey, can I talk with her? And we said, yeah, sure. So she and one of her friends went over and talked with this person. And probably for 30 or so minutes, sat down sharing uh, with this person, sharing Christ, sharing the gospel, sharing, answering a lot of different questions. And this person ended up accepting Christ. Uh, this guy was previously a Mormon, had left the Mormon church and accepted Christ there that night and, and prayed to have, you know, God come into the, the life and, and wanting to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And it was just so absolutely incredible. And so that is uh, kind of one example that we, we had of minds being literally changed right there on the spot and, um, and the Holy Spirit doing a powerful work in transforming people. And so that was just so cool. I was engaged with the conversation at that time with uh, the, um, the manager of the restaurant. He came over and was like, hey, what are you guys doing here? Blah, blah, blah. And wanting to talk with us. And so we got into a conversation with him and he ended up keeping the restaurant open an hour past closing, talking with us. And so we were engaged and, and his, his, his servers are like trying to clean up the place. And so we're like, hey, let us help you. So we started taking our, our, our plates and our dishes to the back and we're helping him clean up the restaurant. Finally, after a long conversation, he's like, you know, I was supposed to close an hour ago. I probably better get going and get my employees home. Um, you know, I don't know how much his mind was changed. Um, I know that there were things that he had, I think, misconceptions about what Christians believe. And I was able to explain certain things. Probably I, I will talk about coming up soon on different shows. Um, and to where at least he said like, hey, I've never thought about it in that way before. That's a very interesting, you know, supposition or something that he kept saying that, that you presented. He goes, I obviously disagree because I'm LDS, but that's very interesting. I've never thought about that that way. Let me, let me keep thinking about that. And so I think there's a lot of people like that, um, that, um, you know, were at least thinking deeply and, and forced to think deeply about their beliefs. Uh, one, becoming a Christian. So that was so, so cool. Last question I have here that came in previously on Instagram about the Utah trip is what is the best way to witness at BYU with Grace? And hey, I see, I know who sent this in and I see what you did there. Uh, Grace was the person I talked with and so did this individual. Um, we had a phenomenal conversation. Um, this conversation was so cool because uh, Grace was having lunch and we said, hey, can we talk with you? And so we sit down and for three and a half hours, we worked through 
um, differences between Mormonism and Christianity, looking at the gospel and how the gospel is different, how the belief about Jesus is different, how the belief about God is different, how the belief about salvation is different, uh, why we trust that the Bible is true and reliable and that plain and precious truths were not taken out of scripture. I mean, I think we, we work through everything. Uh, then she asked about the Trinity, and so I presented the Trinity, and I worked through a biblical case for the Trinity, uh, starting with the, you know, the idea that Scripture clearly teaches there's only one God. Scripture teaches there are three separate, distinct persons. And then thirdly, that each person is fully God. And so that's kind of what makes up our understanding of the Trinity. And we work through everything. And it was so cool. Again, like things that she had thought about things that we hadn't thought about that she had talked about um, and just ways of, of going back and forth. And, and I think what I want to kind of emphasize here is this idea that like having these conversations with someone you disagree with doesn't always have to be negative, right? It doesn't always have to be this fight. It's, it's not this argument. You can sit down and have a loving conversation, respectable conversation with someone. And, and it's hard because you got to, you got to kind of watch yourself a little bit. You kind of got to read the situation, have some awareness. Unfortunately, I was not the best at this because after having this amazing conversation on campus went so well, she was so receptive. We had such a good time having that conversation. Uh, we then went door to door and like the first person I talked to door to door, I kind of pushed the line a little bit too far and, um, and they got upset and they're like, I don't want to have this conversation anymore uh, because I was really trying to kind of hold their feet to the fire on a belief that I think is clearly taught in the Book of Mormon, um, but uh, something that they were not either seeing or not accepting. And I was like, but hold on a second, you got to see this. And after a while, I was like, I'm done. And I went, you know, that probably wasn't the best way to witness with grace is to really push them hard on one point until they admit it rather than other times, hey, if you don't see it right away and you kind of see that they're getting maybe a little upset or a little bothered, moving along to another topic. And so um, the best way, let me, let me also point this out. In having evangelistic conversations like this, don't tell people what they believe. Like, don't even say like, like I, we're even, hes we, we hesitate to even say things like, well, based on what I understand, you believe this. And so like, that's better rather than be like, you believe blank. So for example, like every single person we talked to there agreed with the basic Mormon doctrine that uh, Joseph Smith taught in the history of the church or the teachings of Joseph Smith, um, that God is a separate and distinct being from the son who is separate and distinct from the Holy Spirit. Each one is God. That makes three gods, not one. Every person except for one person agreed with that. And then we went to one person, assuming they would agree to. And I said, well, don't you, like, do you believe? Rather than saying, don't you believe this? Or based on my understanding, you believe this? Or you believe this? I said, do you believe that Jesus is God? And then they go, no, I don't. Well, what do you mean you don't? And they said, no, there's only one God. That's the Father. Jesus is not God. I was like, so what do you think about, and then that's when I said, what do you think about the teachings of your church? And like Joseph Smith, who said they are three separate, distinct gods, no, I think that means something else. Okay, that's fine. Uh, rather than assuming that people all agree. And I think the same thing happens to Christians and we get bothered by that. When a Christian or when a non-Christian comes up to me and says, well, you believe X. And I'm like, no, I don't. Some Christians do, but I don't. Like, it's just not fun being told what you believe. 
And so my encouragement in this is one way to witness with grace and be more loving is to not tell someone what they believe or even just assume what they believe, but instead just ask them, right? So instead of saying, you believe that Jesus is God, or based on what I understand, you believe that Jesus is God, right? And you just say, do you believe that Jesus is God? Let them answer for themselves. And um, that often, again, lets them then explain and then ask good questions. Ask really good questions, showing that you're listening, showing that you care about what they have to say. But then I kind of push back. And so I think these are tactics that we can take in the best way to witness with people. All right. Those are all the questions that came in ahead of time. If you have other questions, excuse me, if you have other questions, you can comment in the live chat again. Um, <clears throat> follow on social media so you can kind of get ahead on that. Um, let me just stop here for a second. Now, if you're watching after the fact, um, you can skip ahead. I'll put all the timestamps down below so you can skip this section. A uh, couple quick announcements. Number one, upcoming interviews. Uh, there are three coming up in July that I want to tell you about. They're at different times. And so I want you to be aware of this. You can always, again, follow on social media and subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming interviews. But first of all, on Thursday, July 1st at 12 p.m., Thursday, July 1st, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I'm interviewing Jeremy Bannister. Now, Jeremy Bannister and I, let me pull this up. Jeremy Bannister and I are both going to be speaking at the same conference. There we go. I think I'm cutting that off a little bit. There, I'll do that. All right, there we go. Jeremy Bannister and I are both speaking at the conference titled The Discipleship Begins at Home Conference. It's a conference for parents, caregivers, pastors, and teachers. There's Jeremy Bannister, also going to be joined by Krista Bontrager, Monique Dudson, uh, Elizabeth Urbanowitz, and then me. And so um, tickets are still on sale. Unfortunately, early bird pricing is done. But down below, I put a link and I have a, uh, a discount code. If you put in partner 10, partner has all capital letters, partner 10, uh, then you can get 10% off of your ticket price only until the end of June, June 30th. But this is going to be fun. This is all about discipleship, uh, discipling our kids. There's information on the speakers. If you want to see more about it, there's going to be four keynote sessions, six different breakout sessions. Uh, you can see here a lot of the different topics on, um, you know, what you can't unsee, tearing down idols, uh, rebuilding things the right way. Uh, we don't have information on that one. Then there's breakout sessions on teaching kids to work hard, biblical discipline, equipping your children to discern and follow the truth, uh, having your identity in Christ, apologetics for kids. And then lastly, me. I'm going to give a talk titled how, uh, sorry, everyone has to start somewhere. And this is talking about just the idea that um, why students, I think, are bored with the faith and what we can do to try to encourage them and try to really captivate them to to have a desire to know God more. And so this is, as you see there, July 23 and 24. If you are interested, that is going to be coming up. You can sign up. You can get your tickets. It's a virtual conference, so you can get it anywhere. Uh, there's also going to be a Q&A and different things going on there. So on Jer July 1st, I'm going to be talking with Jeremy Bannister, the keynote speaker at this event, and he's going to be joining me. So we're going to be talking about discipleship and all that kind of fun stuff. Then on the next Monday, that's a Thursday, on the next Monday to, let's see, July 5th, 
at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tim Muehlhoff is going to be coming on the show to talk about having conversations. He's a professor of communications at Biola. He has two books, Winsome Persuasion and Winsome Conviction, uh, how to have good conversations, and then also how to have difficult conversations without dividing. Um, those are what his two books are about. He started the Winsome Conviction Project that we're going to be talking about. I also have some of his books to give away. And so there's going to be a giveaway on Instagram as well as a giveaway here on YouTube. And so that interview is coming up July 5th. If you want to win the books or you are interested in having better conversations, join me on July 5th for the conversation with Tim Muehlhoff. Lastly, uh, July 19 at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So that one is different. Pacific Time, 8 a.m. Andy Bannister. Uh, he is the author of a new book, uh, talking about why do um sorry do christians and muslims worship the same god and so that's gonna be the conversation there do muslims and christians worship the same god andy bannister is a phd in like quranic studies uh director of solace institute uh, for christian evangelism awesome guy been on the show once before like long 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 time ago when i was still doing podcasts that is going to be july 19 8 a.m because he's over in england uh uk so it's like 4 p.m. for him, 8 a.m. here in California. So that's going to be that interview. And then again on July 30th at 3 p.m. Pacific time here, live Q&A, end of the month Q&A. So those are three interviews and the show coming up. Jeremy Bannister, July 1st, Tim Muehlhoff, July 5th, and Andy Bannister, July 19th. And they're both Bannisters. I don't even know if they're related. Maybe. Um, I also have, lastly, uh, as I mentioned, I'm speaking at the Discipleship Begins at Home conference on July 23rd and 24th. I'm also speaking this coming Monday night, whatever that is, um, at the uh, Orange County Rescue Mission. I'm speaking at Church Every Day on July 25th, doing some Sunday services there. And then I already have people contacting me for next summer in June. And so if you are interested in having me speak at a conference, both in live or virtually, you can go to I have the website here. There we go, coffeehousequestions.com. You can send me an email uh, if you want me to join your event. So those are some announcements. Um, so we'll get back to the Q&A. So thanks if uh, you watched that. If you skipped ahead, welcome back. Um, okay, I wanna make a few more comments and then I will get to the questions here in the live chat. So if you have questions, send those in. Um, but I have one more kind of thought that I would love to share with you guys. And it is actually on my video. I have a video. The most viewed video that I have on YouTube is titled, uh, Will Gay People Go to Heaven? And there's a lot of comments that come in on this video and it has a lot of views. And most comments that are written on it are then quickly deleted. Um, and I wonder if it's because they comment based on what I said at the beginning and then delete it because they maybe see what I say towards the end. And so I just want to offer a few thoughts because I think that Christians can be more thoughtful when it comes to this. And so here's what I, where I was going with this video. My students asked me, will gay people go to heaven? And my response and my question back to them was, will straight people go to heaven? And I kind of let it sit there with them. Now, here's why I did this. I'm clearly aware of the passages in Scripture in 1 Corinthians and Romans and other places in the Old Testament that talk about those who are engaged in sin, sexual sin, including homosexuality, were not inherit the kingdom of God. 
clearly aware of those. But I said at the beginning of this video, I said, there's no passage that says, if you're gay, you go to hell. And if you're straight, you go to heaven. And the reason why, and I think the thing that we can maybe stop is we sometimes make this very simple, right? Very simplistic. And we just say, well, yep, that's what it says. Rather than understanding definitions, rather than understanding definitions. And here's what I mean by that. There are individuals who would use, not that I'm necessarily in favor of doing this, but there are individuals that would use the term gay to describe themselves, not because they're actually engaged in a same-sex romantic relationship, but because they have same-sex attraction. In the same way that people have opposite sex attraction, they're attracted to, to the same sex, but they're not necessarily engaged in sexual sin. So if you are single, single guy, and you are attracted to a girl of the opposite sex, there are ways that you can have a, well, a you, you can control that desire, you can control that attraction, and you can live a holy life before God, abstaining from sexual relationship outside of marriage, or you can engage in that sinful desire and engage in sexual relationships before marriage, and then you are in sin. And Corinthians and other places talk about that too, of those who are engaged in fornication of sexual sin, sex outside of marriage will not inherit the kingdom of God. But here's what I think is when we make this too simplistic and we just say, well, yeah, the Bible says gay people go to hell, they go to hell. My question in response to this is, can someone who is gay, who has same-sex attraction, repent, turn to Christ, desire to follow him, give up their own desires and say, God, I'm going to live a life holy before you not engage in my desires, not engage in these interactions, not engage in this sinful behavior, but instead give it to you and live a life that honors you. Will that person then go to heaven? Yes. Now, some people then will say, well, then they're not considered gay because they're not engaging it. Well, again, this is where you can agree to disagree, but some people still use that term simply to describe their attractions. And so what I try to do in this video is I try to help us think a little bit deeper to say, we need to understand definitions. We need to understand what people are talking about, where they're coming with, with coming from, and, where, you know, and, and what they mean by the things that they say. And it's important for us, I think, when preaching the gospel, to be as clear as we possibly can, that anyone, no matter your desires, no matter your attractions, anyone has the ability to repent and say, Jesus Christ, Forgive me of my sins. I desire to live for you. I forsake my sin and I follow you. That person will be saved. Anyone can do that. We all have sins that we have to turn from. We all have sins that we need to be forgiven of. And I love how Christopher Yuan puts this in, in the interview I did with him on his book, Holy Sexuality, is that if our goal is to like convince people that like somehow gay people go to heaven and we're like trying to make gay people straight. Well, then we can make a gay person straight. It's somehow, I don't, I don't think we can just make them do it, but let's say that they somehow become straight and they're no longer attracted to the same sex, but they can still be engaged in sexual sin and not inherit the kingdom of God. We need to point people to Jesus. And if people are pointed to Jesus and accept Jesus Christ, they will be saved no matter what their sexual attraction is. 
And so that's what I meant in this video by saying there's no passage that says if you're gay, you go to hell, and if you're straight, you go to heaven, because your, your eternal salvation, your eternal destiny is not dependent upon your sexual orientation. Your eternal destiny is dependent on how you respond to the person of Jesus. And so um, I think it's an important point to make, and when we make it simple, and how a lot of Christians have done, at least they appear to be Christians, and commenting on that video and just saying, let me make, let me answer this question easily for you. The answer is yes. Gay people go to hell. Boom. First Corinthians. Here's the verse. I think it's, I think it's misunderstanding. It presents this hopelessness. Yes, that's true. Those who are engaged in sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what, where's the hope in that? Where's the, but come to Jesus. Even in this place, there is still this forgiveness that is available to you. So, um, I just want to share that thought because I think that it's a common misunderstanding uh, to those who watched that video, especially if they didn't watch the whole thing. And I think it's important as we, again, just think through how do we have these conversations? How do we present the truth in a way that is not compromising it one bit, but is um, helping people see the hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ? So hopefully that helps. Uh, let me come here to the... Uh, Questions by Adonis, and let me see. I'm going to do the best I can. I haven't read these before, um, so I'm going to kind of read them and hope that I can answer them rather than sitting here in silence and reading them and, I don't know, and then there's that awkwardness. So first question here, how would you respond to someone says that Ephesians 5.26 refers to water baptism? What if they use it as evidence for water baptism being required for salvation? All right, 526 refers to water baptism. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present to the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, love your wives. Okay, so what is Ephesians 526 here talking about? Um... I think the washing of water might be referencing baptism. Um, but again, I think it is pointing towards this. Uh, the outward sign of baptism is a representation of what has happened inside. Right. I, I take the symbolic view for many reasons. I think, uh, you know, Paul talks about it. I did not come to baptize, right? He came to preach the gospel. We see the thief on the cross. I have a whole video on this. I know I got a lot of pushback, but I have my reasons at least that Faith in Jesus Christ is enough. That if someone goes to, you know, the, the revival and they put their trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, commit their lives to him, and then die on the way home without being baptized, that person's going to heaven. I think that the sacraments are very important things that we can do afterwards. But as I put the equation, I think that, um, that it is faith equals salvation plus works. Right? It's your works that show that your faith is genuine. Right? It's again, it's the simple illustration of like, mom and dad, I love you, but I'm not going to clean my room. I'm not going to do whatever you ask me to do. I'm not going to do anything you ask me to do. You asked me to clean my room and to take out the trash and to do X, Y, and Z. I'm not doing any of that, but I love you and I want to obey you. It's like, no, you don't. You don't love me because when I ask you to do something, then you're not doing it. Right? There's our works shows our faith to be genuine, but the works is not how we are saved. Right, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. I think, uh, let me jump here if I can go back to the Bible just a little bit earlier in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse, oh, there it is, 8 and 9. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no may no one may boast. So it's not your works. It's not saying, look, I did X, therefore I get salvation. It is simply through faith that we are saved, not of our own doing, not a result of works. But then where do works come in? Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so God created us to do good works. God has called us to do good works. Baptism, I think, is one of the beautiful good things that God God has called us to do, along with going to church. Um, you know, it was, it was funny. Coming back to my Utah story, um, uh, I, I get in the taxi, right? And so I'm so I'm 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 in my Uber. I'm going back to uh, I'm going to the church uh, where we are going to be staying with the group. And so my Uber driver says, "Hey, what are you doing here?" So I began to say, I said, well, I'm, I'm leading a team of students. We're here to um, understand uh, uh, the, the LDS faith and have conversations. And we're going to be traveling around and learning and engaging in conversations. And she kind of quickly was saying like, well, I'm not Mormon. And I said, okay. She goes, everyone assumes that I'm LDS, but I'm not. Just because I live here, I'm not. I'm Catholic. And I went, okay, interesting. And then she goes, but... My mom and my grandma, was all, they were always trying to force me to church. You need to go to church. You need to go to church. And she would say, no, I don't have to prove my faith to anybody. I don't have to do anything. I read my Bible. I pray. I don't have to prove it to anybody. And I wanted to say, like, you know, there's some truth to that. Like, you don't have to prove your faith to anybody. But there are works that we have been called to do. Scripture tells us that it is important to fellowship and commune with believers, that baptism is important, that communion is important. There are certain things that are very important. And so I think that these are works that represent it. I think it is a a symbolic expression of what is happening inside, similar to the verse in 1 Peter that says, now baptism now saves you, not as a washing away of dirt from the body, right? But a reflection of what Jesus Christ has done. And so Adonis, I think uh, that is what I would say for this one. Um, I I don't think it is evidence that water baptism is required. Um, I would say that it is, um, it might be referencing to baptism, but it is talking about this invisible kind of spiritual thing that has been happening inside of them. Cleansing is kind of that outward sign, uh, the outward physical thing that we can, you know, uh, um, relate it to, but it is not necessarily uh, the action of doing that itself. So hopefully that helps. Really good question. Uh, Mike Winger, thanks for coming here. Um, You have all the hard questions, so I don't know if I can ask, answer your question. Let's try. Mike, thanks for being here. I was just watching your live stream. Uh, those who don't know Mike, go check out his channel. His channel is awesome. He's way better at answering questions than I am. He does it every Friday, not just once a week. Um, so Mike, thanks for doing that. And I appreciated watching yours. Um, how do you explain Jude's apparent quote of the book of Enoch in verse 14 and 15? Yes, I'm asking hard questions to mess with you. God bless you, brother. Let's go to Jude and let's see if I can say anything to Mike's question here. There we go. Jude 14 and 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict convict all the ungodly of their deeds and ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against them. These are grumblers. Malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. 
All right. Um, so first of all, I think you would agree. And I think we both can, right? As you talked about the book of Enoch, I don't think the book of Enoch is authoritative uh, in that sense. It is not the word of God. Um, but we do see, let me come back here. We do see biblical writers using extra biblical sources for kind of information or to kind of as an authority in some sense, right? And we see this with Paul where he says, you know, like, well, here's the statue you have to the unknown God. And, and we see this kind of work of saying like, look, like, here's something you understand. Here's something you, um, you know about. Um, I don't think that him quoting it means that he is equating this as being equal to or having a similar authority as the word of God to saying this is God's word. I don't think it means that. Um, I just see, think it's, you know, we, we look at the example here, right? If we come back to the verse, uh, the Lord comes, tens of thousands as holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict and all the ungodly and their disease. Like this is another example of, of judgment that is going to be carried out on people. And that's, is it true that God is going to carry out judgment? I would say yes. We see that throughout the Old Old Testament. We see that many times. And so I think, could this be similar to like saying like, here's a truth about scripture um, and saying, um, here's a movie that rep represents it, right? So it's true that scripture, greater love hath no man than a man lay down his life for a friend. This understanding of when you lay your life down for someone, how loving is that? We see that in the person of Jesus. We see that in 1 John. That's what scripture teaches is love. Similar to in uh, Avengers, Infinity War, right? We see this conflict in Endgame where it's them like, do I kill an innocent person to save people? And that's seen as being negative. And then in Endgame, we see, no, I'm going to lay down my own life, right? It's like Iron Man lays down his life to save, not... I'm going to kill some innocent person like we see in the first part of that series in Infinity War or in Endgame. No, Infinity War was first. So I think in a similar way, you can say like, here's a biblical concept and here's a cultural reference that kind of repeats it or a cultural reference that also kind of goes along with it. Like here's a cultural example of this and then come back. And so I don't think, Mike, this is a hard question, but I would just say on the surface, I don't think that Jude's quote of Enoch is saying that Enoch is authoritative, just like I would not say Endgame is authoritative or saying it's scripture, it's not scripture, but I think it would just be an example uh, to say, look, this judgment is coming. Here's even someone in your work, right? Especially, um, you know, who's being talked to here, like, hey, in this historical literature, this guy talked about judgment, like, you know, this judgment is coming. And so I see this as maybe another example of judgment, um, not necessarily saying it's scripture. So I don't know if that helps. Mike, thank you so much <laughs> for sending that in. Let me come back up here to the first question uh, by Adonis. Book of Revelation, this might be rough. Um, we will see. Adonis, if I don't answer this, it's just because I don't understand the book of Revelation a whole lot well. I have views. I talked with some people in Utah about my views on Revelation quite a bit. Um, but let's see here. Revelation 18.23 says, The nations will be deceived by the sorcery of Babylon. How will the sorcery be manifested as drugs, as magic? Um, I don't know. Let me see if there's anything initially in the text. All right. So here's what it says. Uh, Revelation 23, 1823. And the light of the lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom will, 
and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of the prophets of the saints and all who have been slain on earth. So here's what I think is just a good principle when reading scripture. And, and my answer to this is, I don't know. I don't know what it means by the sorcery, by their sorcery, they will deceive. Uh, whether it's, you know, false prophets that are going to be uh, speaking, whether it is weird signs. Um, scripture doesn't, at least in this passage, tell us. And so there's a lot of questions of like, how will this happen? Well, if God hasn't told us how it's going to happen, then I don't have an answer, right? It's like, when is Jesus coming back? I don't know. Even Jesus didn't know when he was coming back. Um, and so this kind of question of like, why didn't God do this? Why did, you know, why didn't he? It's like, well, we don't know unless God told us. And so um, I don't have the, this verse. I haven't looked at this verse. And so to, to be able to relate this to all these different places and to know exactly what is meant by that, I can't do that right now. Um, and so, uh, anyways, um, I think that's just a good principle to have as we look at these passages of saying, okay, it says, you're right. It does say here, all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. What does that sorcery look like? Not quite sure. Not quite sure, but that's what it seems to be saying. And then you have also the kind of more zoomed out approach to the book of Revelation of like, how do we even understand the book to begin with? Uh, how much of it, you know, is this future uh, the futurist, everything is happening in the future. Uh, do we hold to tribulation in the literal thousand years? Are we all millennial and saying, no, there's not a literal thousand years. Uh, the millennium started with the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, you know, Pentecost or whatever that may be. And so there's different views that we can even talk about further back on how exactly to uh, address these. Um, Mike, you're welcome. Um, thanks. Thanks for the guitar. I know you got one too. I wasn't, I wasn't copying you exactly, Mike. Uh, but I did take some ideas. Um, and I also didn't mean to copy you on that light. It was actually supposed to be very different. And then the globe around the light broke. And then I realized after it broke and I throw it on the bookshelf, it looks a whole lot like your light. <laughs> but uh, I think if I were to have asked you, I think you would give me permission to copy you on that one. So um, <laughs> anyways, all right. Well, there's a, at least one more so far right now in the live chat uh, that I will be able to see if I can look at. Um, and actually, I'm going to say, no, I don't know that one. Sorry, Donis. I don't know the last one. I don't know David Burkott um, and if he taught that or not. So I, I can't answer that question. So um, with that, um, I hope you guys uh, are doing well. Thank you so much for being here. If there's any kind of quick questions here at the end that come in, I can take, definitely take some time and answer them since we did get started a little bit late. But anyways, um, hopefully that this has been encouraging to you, um, kind of thinking through this trip. And by the way, let me just say this. If you're interested in going on an immersive experience, like the one that I described, going to Utah, spending a week. We also do trainings with Christians. We have incredible Christian leaders like Bill McKeever, who's come on the show to talk about Mormonism before. Uh, um, you know, Lauren Pankratz, we didn't talk with him this time, but he's met with groups before and helped them. And he's been on my show before, as well as Rob Savolka and Sandra Tanner and Chip Thompson and... Doris, uh, we never got, I didn't get her last name, but anyway, some amazing Christians who are on the ground in Utah doing ministry in different ways, from doing street evangelism to radio shows, to writing books, to having uh, just a ministry with doors open where people can come in and have conversations, where Chip Thompson has a, a cafe, 
right across the street from a Mormon college down in Ephraim and uh, has a huge archaeological display in the cafe showing the reliability of the Bible. So many amazing Christians doing ministry in different ways there in Utah. They also come in and share with the group, inspire them to be kind of ambassadors and um, to to kind of be on fire for wanting to tell people about Jesus. And there's nothing better than seeing these students, these high school students being on this trip and truly growing, not only in their humility, because uh, it is humbling. It's humbling to, to talk to some Mormon leaders and to different people that raise different objections against the Christian faith and say, well, what about this? I guess we have some time, so let me maybe address one of these before I keep maybe tricking you, thinking we're going to leave. But the main objection that kept coming back up was this idea that what about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? What about those who have never heard the name of Jesus? How is it fair to send them to eternal hell? This is one reason why the Mormon doctrine teaches that there's a second chance, that after death, you have the ability to go to spirit prison, uh, or not spirit prison, but um, the spiritual world where um, you have the ability to hear the message of Jesus again, where someone is going to be baptized for you, right? So they do baptisms for the dead and someone is going to be baptized for you to give you the chance to truly accept the message of Jesus for those who have never heard. And we had, you know, the directors of the Church Communications Council all the way down to students at BYU say, but what, but what about those who've never heard? It's a huge objection. How do you respond to that? So this is one of the things that I kind of took some time and went over with the students to try to help them see a possible response to this. Same thing with the um, manager of the restaurant there in Provo. That was his big objection, big question. What about those who have never heard? Now, Christians are going to answer this question differently. But my thought is this. My short answer is this. God will reveal himself to all who desire to get to know him. I am very strongly convinced that there is no one, no one is going to be in heaven that did not want to be there. And no one is going to be in hell that did not want to be there. We eventually are going to get what we want. And when we look at Romans chapter one, you know, the heavens declare, or that's Psalm 19, one, the heavens declaring the glory of God. When we look at Romans chapter one, that God's invisible attributes, his divine power have been clearly perceived in the creation of the world through the things that he has made so that we're without excuse. It's clear that every person who's ever lived on the face of this planet has had revelation of God. And so my position, my belief is that those who reject that revelation, God says, here I am. Do you want to know me? And those who say, nope, I don't want to know you. And, and do not seek after God that they are without excuse. They can't say, well, I never heard. It's like, no, you didn't. And they will spend eternity apart from him, getting what they desire. But there are people who, whose eyes have been opened, who see general revelation, who respond to it positively and say, I want to know more. And then God gets them special revelation. God, God gets them the message of Jesus, which is necessary for salvation. Whether it's through a missionary, whether it's someone coming and preaching the gospel, whether it's dreams and visions that we see around the world, the message of Jesus will get to that person who is open and willing to receive it. Now, this is really hard when it gets personal. The professor that met with us at BYU shared a story that he came from China and his grandpa this wonderful and good guy, lived his whole life, never know Jesus. Is he in hell? This is hard when it gets very personal like this. 
Absolutely. But we can't let kind of the emotions of a difficult story get in the way of what we believe Scripture clearly teaches. First of all, is this idea that like, well, there's all these good people that are seeking after God. Is that true that there's all these good people seeking after God? Well, what about something like, this is a common passage, common chapter that we looked at, Romans chapter three. How do we understand this? What then? Are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, under, under sin, as it's written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. You can keep going in this, in this chapter, in verse chapter three, and see a whole lot more. But how do we understand this? Is if we have this understanding that there's all these really good people that are out there just desiring to know God, seeking after God, God, I just want you. And they just don't get the message of Jesus. Like God is sitting there revealing himself to people and then crying out after him saying, please, I just want to know more. And him like, mm, no, I'm not going to give you more. I could tell you about Jesus. I could give you the knowledge that is required for salvation, but I'm not going to. Like, that's a really messed up God, if that's really what God is doing. But I don't think that's what Scripture teaches, and I don't think that's what God is doing. People have, are given the message, and they are responding to it. When their hearts are dead in sin, they're rejecting it. They're saying, I don't want that. Sin looks good. I'm going after this. And they are responsible for their decisions. They will be judged, as the end of Roman, Revelation talks about, judged according to the things that they have done. That is fair. In the same way that God reveals himself to us, our eyes are open, and those who see God and say, I want to know, I want to know more, God is going to give them the information to know. So there's not going to be anyone who was desiring to know God, who's this good, honest person seeking after God, that God just kind of leaves out. It doesn't work that way, right? We, we see in other places all throughout the book of Romans that those who I call, or, you know, those who I predestined, I call those who I called, I foreknew and all that kind of stuff. I'm messing up the order, but like, and oh man, I'm forgetting this verse too off the top of my head. John six, here we go. All that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. I think it's hard when we are met with these difficult questions of personal experience. What about my grandpa? But that's when we have to say, look, I, I, I bet your grandpa was an awesome guy. He probably did some wonderful things. But if we take scripture as an authority, we have to look at this. And we have to say, look, no one is just seeking after God, right? They called Jesus a good teacher. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. We have this misunderstanding that we are a bunch of really good people. And that our good works should somehow be worth at least like knowledge of Jesus, like I've done enough good things. Now I deserve that you tell me. That's not what scripture presents. Our good deeds are like filthy rags, right? Our heart is deceitful and wicked above all else. There's so much that goes into this. But then lastly, this idea, and this is why I think that those who would repent will have the opportunity. 
That is my view, that all who would repent will be given the opportunity. And it's clear that Father comes down, says, look, those who I give Jesus, those whose eyes have been opened, those who are would repent, I, th- I believe their free will choice, they will have the opportunity. Jesus will be presented to them and they will be given that opportunity. There's no one who is in hell that would have repented, but did not have the chance. All who would repent will be given the opportunity. And I think that a lot of scripture plays into that. And so then we say, look, there's good reason to believe this is it. And it's kind of like, again, finishing up with the conversation I had at the restaurant where the manager of the restaurant said, well, but why is it that, you know, Jesus won't give people a second chance? You know, could Jesus give them a second chance? And my answer is like, well, yeah, of course Jesus could. The question is not what could Jesus do? The question is what did Jesus teach? If Jesus is the judge and he taught that there is no second chance, that you need to be ready now because you don't know when the thief is going to come in or when your lamp is going to go out and all the different parables that Jesus taught, then me saying there is no second chance, that's not like evil of me. How dare me? It's lining up my views with what scripture teaches. And so these are the hard things to recognize, the hard things to talk through. But when you get into these sort of conversations, they challenge you to think about some objections maybe you've never thought about and, and to, to address them, to learn, to dig back into scripture. And that is one of the coolest things to see is that almost every time we got in the van or we showed back up at the church at night, the students had out their Bibles, they had their Book of Mormon, they were searching the scriptures, trying to find ways, how can I be better prepared so this same objection doesn't get me next time? That is amazing. Look, God has created us to know him and make him known, to know him and glorify him forever. Going on trips like this, you're doing exactly what God has created you to do, to know him more fully and to make him known. How amazing is that? So if you are interested in joining an immersive experience, possibly even having me lead that experience, go to maventruth.com. Com. I'll put it in the description below. Maventruth.com, I think, is the right link there. Again, you can also go in the description below. Check out the Discipleship Begins at Home conference uh, on July 23 and 24. Um, I will be speaking there. Again, you get the you get, uh, you get a discount if you use the promo code below. Partner 10, all capital letters. And then finally and lastly, uh, the three interviews coming up. Chance to win a book. Chance to win some free stuff. I see you follow on social media. Thank you so much, Slam RN, for being here, for helping me out. Thanks, Mike, for coming. Adonis, thank you so much for the questions at the beginning. And everyone else who watched this live, I appreciate you being here, uh, as well as those who are listening to After the Fact. Thank you for downloading and listening to this. I hope that it has been encouragement to you. Um, it has challenged you to think deeper about the Christian about Christianity, Christian life, about evangelism, all those important things. And again, if these conversations, if this conversation has been of an interest to you, I think you'll not only enjoy some other conversations that pop over here, but the conversations coming up in the future. So please subscribe, like it, share it with a family or friend, help spread the word. I would really appreciate that. Guys, have a wonderful rest of your day. Great weekend. God bless. Continue to think deeply about God and Christianity because they are worth thinking about. Bye, everybody. Won't hesitate to follow Your love will guide my